Futurized goes beneath the trends to track the underlying forces of disruption in tech, policy, business models, social dynamics, and the environment. I'm your host, Trun Arne Unheim, futurist and author. In episode 43 of the podcast, the topic is the future of high net worth lifestyle. Our guest is Dalton Sketch, CEO of Goldgate, a fintech focused on real estate. In this conversation, we talk about how to own homes in Beverly Hills, Dubai, Tokyo, Singapore, and London for the price of one through fractional real estate investing. The approach builds on tokenization. We discuss the needs of the wealthy post-COVID-19. A word from our sponsor. Do you have business challenges where you would like high-quality external input from experts? Yegi is an insight network with access to on-demand teams made up of select talent from thousands of experts across industries and markets. Check out Yegi at archives.yegi.com. That's Y-E-G-I-I. Dalton, how are you today? Doing well, Tron. Good morning. How are you doing? (laughs) I'm doing great. I am doing great. Dalton, we, we're here to talk a little bit about uh, some exciting things in, in, in real estate investing and, and uh, you know, opportunities for, for high net worth individuals and, and also others, uh, ostensibly, because I think tokenization, right? It's, uh, the whole point is that it spreads out the, the asset into much smaller uh, pieces, so you can uh, get a small part of a, of a big pie. Isn't that right? That is right. That is right. So it's not only with living, but it could be with your investments as well, whether that's artwork or vintage cars or stocks, bonds, and a whole lot of other things. Yeah, we'll we'll uh, dive straight into it. Um, I just wanted to give my listeners a quick uh, quick overview of what you've been up to and ask you a couple of questions about it. So uh, you're Dalton Sketch. You are a real estate investor, um, a young one, I would say, right? So you got uh, into it really fast uh, out of uh, Boulder, where you t- got a degree in entrepreneurship, and you then went off to to do some commercial real estate and sourced uh, an impressive amount of uh, off-market real estate and succeeded with that and have been traveling the world pre-COVID doing this. That's exciting. That's right. That's right. I'm a little bit young. I'm 26 years old. And uh, six months after college, I um, decided to start my own business and it ended up going fantastic. Uh, closed two large deals within um, 15 months. And I was working out of my apartment in Denver at the time. And I said, hey, I can do this from anywhere in the world. And so I uh, sold all of the new toys that I bought with my first uh, two commissions and uh, went and traveled the world and no one knew the difference. That's exciting. Where did you go? 35 countries. That's a lot. Yeah, I spent a lot of time in uh, Europe and the Middle East and Asia and then came back to the United States and then uh, went back to Europe and then back to the United States. And then I went down to uh, Latin America and I spent the first two months of this year in Nicaragua and then the next two months in Brazil before I finally came back for, uh, for, you know, for the next, I guess, few months for the foreseeable future. So Dalton, how did that all go with internet connections and stuff? You weren't doing like super sensitive broadband stuff or, or were you actually able to find really good uh, good lines wherever you were? It was actually not a problem at all. In terms of uh, my my mobile phone, I was able to keep my number. T-Mobile, actually, they're, they're not very great for in the United States, but internationally, there's no better provider. And so T-Mobile was, was perfect for that. 
And in terms of Wi-Fi, there was no problem. There was uh, lots of co-working spaces actually throughout the world. And some of them, whether it was in Ukraine or Vietnam, they had all the amenities of a upscale Upwork or uh, WeWork. And uh, they were only like 3 or $5 a day. So life was good. <laughs> Life was good. I I like having these conversations, and and I won't mention the COVID word any anymore for a little while because I want to have a a really sort of frank conversation uh, with you about the future. We'll, we'll obviously have to situate it within where we are, but um, let's talk a little bit about the technology and and uh, the phenomenon that you've been exploiting on this new venture you're, you're on because it's not just the ability to travel and be digitally connected, what, what we're talking about here, and, and maybe you can kind of enlighten people who are not so up on this, but there is this new way of trading real estate, but maybe let's just start with some of the things that it's related to. So there, for a while, there's been these real estate investment trusts, and I know that you, part of what you were doing in the past had to do with them. Why don't you start with just explaining in one sentence what that is? Because that's also a form of sort of distributed ownership. It's just of a very different kind. Why don't you just bring everybody up to speed on what those actually do, first of all, and then let's kick into this more contemporary landscape. For sure. And so with the real estate investment trust, what that pretty much is, is that one company pools all this money from investors all over the country, maybe even the world, to go out and acquire and develop properties in certain geographies, whether that's industrial property or office property or whatever it might be. And uh, but what you can imagine is that if you invest a hundred or a thousand dollars into one of these REITs and you drive one of buy one of these buildings, you don't really get that pride of ownership. You don't really go, oh, I made a decision to help develop that in this location, and I love it, and everything like that, or who the tenant was going to be, or whatever it might be. So with my platform, people are able to almost create their own REIT where they can choose locations and assets and whatever it might be and put in large sums of money so that when they do drive by it, they're able to show their friends or even show it on their iPad, say, hey, look, I'm a part owner in this building. And not just a part owner, right? And we'll get into this a little bit, but you can actually split this up. You know, with a US dollar, there's a limit, right? It's a uh, one cent is actually the smallest amount of dollars that you can trade just because that's the way a, a you know a fiat currency works but uh when you're using these newer models there's really no limit is there to i think there's 18 digit digits when you tokenize an, an asset you can really fractionalize down and and we'll get into what what fractionalize might mean but is that the appeal to you that you can split it up into so many parts or is it the fact that the ownership just feels very real. Let's say you have 300 square meters and you divide it into 300 and now you're, I own a, you know, or a square foot. I own a square foot of, of this property. That's kind of exciting. Yeah, it is pretty exciting. And I think the exciting part is I don't think that, you know, spending even $100 in investing in one property is that exciting too, because if it goes up or down, it really isn't. You don't have much skin in the game. But when you're able, I guess, to, if you have properties that are $40 million or whatever it might be, and you want to put in a few thousand dollars, whether it's 50000 or whatever it might be, in the past way, in the traditional way of investing, if somebody was raising, let's say, $10 million to go out and acquire a property and you invest $100,000, well, that's great. You get your dividend every quarter uh, from that property, from the rents from that property. 
but you don't get to decide when you get that principal back and the appreciation in the property. That stays with the property until the owner decides to sell. But with the technology that we're using, now you have the ability to take out your principal and appreciation whenever you'd like to do so. And you have a much larger base of people to sell to. Well, why don't we go into the technology a little bit before we talk about what people might be interested in this. But I've seen a couple of, I've never done many numbers on this, but if you take one that I just looked at here from a player that actually has a model a little bit similar to what we're talking about, they were saying the global real estate market is valued at around $228 trillion. I mean, these are enormous amount of money. And, you know, apart from, uh, you know, in the individual sort of market, right? In, in the commercial market, only accredited and institutional investors really had access to what you were talking about, the most exciting projects, right? You can't just, as an individual, typically just invest in these $40, $100 million projects. Uh, but what you're saying is with this new model, this will increasingly become possible for, for individuals. At least that's, uh, that's the promise. That's right. And um, even... Um the company out of Dubai, they're called Amar Properties, and they were in talks with T Zero about a year or two ago about tokenizing the Burj Khalifa, the tallest building in the world, so that people all over the world could take part in the revenue stream or the income from the tallest building in the world in the Middle East. And so that's kind of how it will be in the future: is people will be able to own fractional in, uh, ownership in different properties throughout the entire world. So if they want to take advantage of London real estate or Dubai real estate or Japan or whatever it might be, they'll have the ability to do so. But Dalton, uh, we have danced around the technology for a little while. First off, how did you get into the technology side of this? Uh, because there is a technology component, or at least there, you know, there are some technicality into this. And then could you just line up some of these concepts and simplify them a little bit so that we can kind of relate. So tokenization is one. This is also related to the blockchain platform as such. H how did you educate yourself on those things? And what does a potential investor need to know? Um, you know, an individual who's listening, what do they need to know before they consider going into these kinds of new financial uh, opportunities? For sure. And I almost, it was almost an accident for me finding out about security token offerings. I was actually going full forward with just a regular um, commercial real estate investment firm. That's how I was just going to build my my firm. It was, we were going to invest in Texas real estate. We were going to hold long term. We we're going to invest in sustainability and automation. And I said, you know what? I'm a young guy. I might want to attract these Bitcoin and crypto millionaires that might be out there. So, and I remember seeing blockchain and real estate in the past. So I just typed in blockchain real estate. One thing led to another. I started learning about all the people in this field, and I go, "There's no going back. This is the this is the future. This is the way that commercial real estate is going to be tra be transacted." But basically, how it works is that, for instance, if you're on a crowdfunding platform like CrowdStreet or Fundrise, and you invest in one of their offerings, and the offering, you know, you invest a hundred thousand dollars, whatever it might be, and the offering closes. Well, now you're issued shares, but they're in essence paper shares. Like if you wanted to go trade them, you have to go find who, who else is in the deal or find somebody else that might want to buy them. And you have to work with legal counsel and you have to talk with the sponsor and you have to do all that stuff. And it's not, it's not liquid. It's not liquid, period. And so what we do with security token offerings is that once somebody invests in a property, get their paper shares, what we do is we create a digital share, a token. 
that represents that share, that that ownership interest. And then what we do is we've created a secondary marketplace that is managed and operated by a FINRA SEC registered broker dealer. So that if somebody says, okay, I bought 100,000 shares at a dollar each, two years went by and I want to sell 50,000 shares at a dollar 10 because you know, I want to pay for my son's wedding, or I want to get a new car, or whatever it might be. It works just like a stock or a bond. You'd be on the Goldgate platform, you go, okay, 50,000 shares, $1.10, click sell. It puts in a sell order to tens of thousands of people on my platform. And then you go to lunch, and then hopefully come back from lunch, and that sell order is executed. Um, and it works on the buy side as well. So Dalton, how much of this platform, uh, as you're setting it up, did you have to build for yourself? And to what extent were there other uh, service providers? Because I've looked into uh, some of the providers in this space, and there are a few startups that are starting to do this, and we can talk about some of them. Uh, and you know, if you look at Crunchbase or, or just Google real estate tokenization, there are a few players. They are mostly either exchanges uh, that then provide this additional service or and then can tokenize kind of literally anything and they presumably could help an actor like you set up a platform or they might just they are just individual startups that are that are like you kind of setting up their own platform and even creating their own coin and and tokens to deal with this how did you approach it so what I did is I spent over two months, probably every single day, and uh, <laughs> talking, doing demos. I don't know how many demos I would do with one company just to figure out how it worked, um, kind of what services they offered, what the costs were, and listen to podcasts, spoke with other people. I spent months. This That was my full-time job is I, I go, wow, to be able to offer liquidity in commercial real estate, I need to get this right. And I spoke with a lot of people that are uh, in this space that have like, for instance, the owners of the Aspen coin, which is the largest. Yes, um, yes. I was going to ask you. So so let's do this. So there is a precedent here in the US. This was back in 2017, early 18. Aspen coin. T tell us about this hotel in Aspen and how that all happened. The amount, I think the hotel was worth around, or they needed around 18 million to renovate a hotel. Is that the background? That's right. And so the hotel, if I'm correct about this, I'm sure that the hotels are worth, I think, a few hundred million dollars. I think it's like worth like $200 million. But what the owner of the property, Elevated Returns, what they did is they go, hey, we need $18 million in order to renovate the hotel, in order to uh, increase the the um, the uh, ADR and the occupancy, the average daily rate that people are paying to use the hotel and all that stuff. And so what they did is they said, okay, we're going to issue 18 million shares um, to people across the world and, and give them ownership interest in the hotel. So we're going to have other people from around the world help fund this and in return, we're going to give them ownership in the hotel. And they actually just um, listed their uh, shares for the hotel on T0 this past month. I'm curious. I mean, this is very early days. Uh, you're not thinking of starting new properties this way, right? Because presumably after a while, once you get credibility, you could actually fund a new hotel this way. Totally. But. Totally. Yeah, and yeah. and I don't intend to bring any of my properties onto an exchange in the future. I actually want to keep them in an exclusive marketplace. So, yeah. if you want to buy, if you want to invest in these properties or invest in these other assets, such as art or whatever it might be, you need to be on the Goldgate platform now. In the future, there's an option for us to go public with my company, Goldgate, 
on an exchange like Open Finance or T0 or whatever it might be and pretty much go public on a blockchain exchange for a few hundred thousand dollars rather than go public on the NASDAQ for a few million. Um, but uh, but to just to answer my earlier question, have you gotten service providers to help you to set up some of these things? And are you actually issuing your own token for to get the care of this? Or, or are you actually using a, a token service? Yeah, so there's a lot of different players in this field that do different things, whether it's issuing the token, right, issuing the shares, or they are doing the compliance work with the KYC AML checks, or they're doing the escrow, they're doing the transaction, the secondary marketplace. There's a lot of different players, and you have to interview a lot of them and um, and really do demos in, in order to make sure that what they say they can do, they can actually do. There's a lot of companies, I think, throughout the world that I've spoken with, whether it was in the Middle East or it was in the United States or whether it was in Europe or whatever it might be, that kind of led me to believe that they could do what I what I wanted, but in the end, um, it just wasn't it just wasn't so. And so going through all of those hoops. And so what I did for my minimum viable product was what was use one of the providers. And so there's there's a lot of providers for this, um, such as one is like Securitize. You have um, Polymath, you have um, TokenSoft, you have AlphaPoint, you have SolidBlock. There's a lot of great companies out there um, that some of them offer the end-to-end solution. And uh, they say they offered the end-to-end solution, but not all the time. And so what I've done is I've kind of cre- I've used, I've used a few of them to create a minimum viable product to show, and do, to show to investors. Right now, if I wanted to go out and acquire commercial real estate property, using that platform, it would be better than any other platform there is right now for commercial real estate investing, period. But as you know, I'm kind of taking a different direction with residential real estate that I'm sure we'll get into. Yeah, well, well, let's get into that soon. But I, I just wanted to build this up by saying, I mean, so here's, you know, here's you getting out of university, getting excited about this, but then really spending the time it takes to learn. Because whenever you're building out this, you know, something based on a completely new business model, it there's a reason why everyone's not doing this, right? Or at least not getting in on the business side. Even, you know, you might say, oh, maybe I, I'm going to invest a little bit. And, you know, you take one of these companies and you try to to invest. But to really go all the way and say, I'm going to commercialize something based on this completely new way of doing things, it it does take careful study. So I just wanted to congratulate you on, on doing all that hard work. Um, and then, so... Initially, you said you were going to go for commercial real estate. Is that that because that was your background, right? So you you were a broker in the commercial market and you had success there. Now, why are you then going back into the individual market? And let's talk a little bit about what's sort of happening and has happened around the world. Is there more of a timing question for you, or is it just is a luxury residential um, especially interesting to you? And I guess this ties in a little bit with. Uh, you know, high net worth individuals. Um, there's something really exciting about individual property ownership, and you're kind of t- trying to take out the new X uh, value out of out of that market and giving even wealthy individuals uh, kind of uh, shoulders to to stand on. Can you explain what you think is the unique attraction? And yeah, the opportunity. And what you said right there, the timing is the biggest thing. That is the why, right? And um, in terms of making this pivot from commercial real estate into luxury residential real estate, and you're right that there are a few people out there that understand residential real estate, commercial real estate, finance, blockchain, all of those things. And so I've been 
able to build these these skills and this experience and this education, which kind of was able to allow my brain to put two and two together. But in terms of commercial real estate, which we will in the future be offering on the platform, the whole pivot away from that is that I was sitting here and I'm going, this platform is going to be ready. We're going to be able to go out and buy commercial real estate, but we wanted to purchase multifamily properties in Texas. And we keep on giving stimulus checks. We keep on pushing back the eviction notices. And so, and then also uh, interest rates are at the lowest they've ever been. And then also we have a lot of foreign investors trying to place money from their countries in our country. And so I didn't see any distressed real estate on the horizon for maybe the next six, nine or 12 months. And so I just thought to myself, where could I find distressed real estate to go out and offer to my clients? In my mind, my mind went straight to the New York City ultra luxury residential real estate market because you see all the time all these articles that say the New York City ultra luxury market is trading at a discount to what it was in 2013. There's a there's a 30% plus discount on this type of real estate on real estate that's 10 million or 20 million dollars and over in New York City. And I go, wait one minute. I said, we have the finest real estate in the entire world in a global market and it's trading at a 30% plus discount, why is nobody buying this? And one of the reasons is because there's only a few people in the world that can write a 35 or $40 million check. Uh, exactly. And especially for a home that they're only going to be in for a month or two a year. So I said, what if I could allow investors from all over the world to take advantage of the drop in prices in these global markets and ultra luxury real estate to get the tax benefits and get the expected property appreciation from these properties. And I took it one step further. I talked with a lot of lawyers and CPAs and to figure out to, because I had an idea in my head and I said, wow, if this is possible, this is going to be, this is going to change the way that people live. It's going to be really a lifestyle. And so, so I said, okay, here I can go in and I can issue maybe 12 shares for each individual property and each share represents a specific month in that property and each share is worth a different price because for instance a month in Dubai in the winter time is worth more than a month in Dubai in the summertime right I was going to you know in prepping for this I was going to ask you that question and I'm glad you you sort of took care of that I mean this has been what uh, the timeshare markets real liquidity or real problem has been you know there are many problems i find in that market but but one of them is definitely this uh, this idea that you know it depends which weeks you can negotiate and uh, it's not really months i guess it's also weeks how are you going to handle all that are you literally going to assess properties based on weeks and months and then set individual prices like you said there yeah so uh, and then you're taking it further you're giving them their primary residence and an emotional connection. Yep. Multiple people get an emotional connection up to what? Up to 12? To 12 so months. So it's a monthly scheme you're thinking. Yep, that's right. That's right. And there's a lot of there's a lot of issues with timeshares and so that's probably one of the questions people will be thinking about this is how is this different from a timeshare? Well, there's a few reasons and the first thing is, you know, timeshares are usually for a few weeks uh, a year maybe for like they're like hotels almost. They're like little places that you go to but this is for people that want to be in one place for one month to six months. But the four main biggest reasons are, one, there's liquidity, right? Try to sell your timeshare and you will never buy a timeshare again. It's a terrible process. 
And then two, you get tax benefits with this. Three, you have the expected property appreciation. Don't expect to get property appreciation out of your timeshare. And then four, you'll be able to get a loan against your equity interest in these properties similar to a margin loan or a regular loan. So those are the four main reasons why this is or that it is completely different than a timeshare. I know that's interesting. And and are you providing all the services that go into this? Because let's say I'm interested in, and, and let's talk through a use case here. So so here's here's me or let's let's say here's a friend of mine, a very wealthy person and is interested in getting in on this and uh, you know, can afford to spend time because their their work, you know, lets them travel around. Okay, so let's identify a couple of cities. How does this work out in practice? Let's say I buy I buy Jan- January, February in New York. Let's but then are you then providing yep, me with it. any practical guidance for for settling in there and like how how did like the keys are you really, really going down to the studs? You you have service providers pr- providing a service department for those things? Absolutely, it's an entire concierge service and so yep. it feels like home but you have the same services as a Ritz-Carlton and, and there's so many like issues, there's so many how much how much time and peace of mind do you spend on your personal residence or even on your vehicles? And so how I see it working is that somebody has their primary residence that they own 12 months in, but then they have other residents throughout the country or maybe even the world that they have two to three months in. So rather than going out and buying two additional homes for 12 months each, right, in the traditional way that they're only staying in for two to three months, they can go out and buy multiple homes all throughout the world if they want to. And again, it feels like home. Same services as the Ritz Carlton. So you land in New York. You have January and February, perfect, right? So you land in New York. You have the Goldgate app too, which which we're creating as well for the concierge service. So you get to choose what car you want for those two months. We're not going to charge it like one of those crazy rates or anything. Just like a a lease almost. You go, okay, I want the Tesla for the two months. Great, Tesla's waiting for you. You drive it to your place. The furniture is already there, and the furniture we change out every two years as well. So the furniture is already there. You have your you have your access key, everything like that. So you drive your car, your Tesla, to your place. You get there. Furniture's there, and then also before you even went there, maybe you flew from from Los Angeles, and you go, "I'm going to be in New York City for two months. I want to have my personal clothes." And you can't just fit maybe your personal clothes in a suitcase or two. But then also, I want to have my artwork there, and I want to have my wine. That's pretty much the only things that people I think are, will be bringing with them because the furniture is already there and their car's already there and all that stuff. So all they really need to bring is those three things. And so they say, okay, come pack up the stuff, bring it to my place. Before you even get there, your clothes are hung up, your art is hung up, your wine is where it needs to be. You're like, perfect, sounds good. So now you get to go live in that property for two months. If you need like a private chef for a night, you can use the app. If you need cleaning service, grocery service, anything like that, use the app. You don't need to worry about the property taxes or insurance. That's a part of like your your annual fee that you pay uh, with regard to your ownership interest. So we take care of, of everything that you might need to, but rather than paying a luxury rental company where you give them your money and there's a 0% chance of ever seeing it back, or you give it to a hotel company or a hotel, and again, you give them the money and you never see it back, or you give it to a you know, one of these like luxury inspirado kind of deals, you give them your money, you never see it back. With this, where is the economics on your end of, of this, uh, Dalton? So, what are the fees for Goldgate? Yeah. So, the fees for Goldgate are a 1% acquisition fee, which is completely standard. 
in uh, commercial real estate investment and just in, in general real estate investment. So 1% um, acquisition fee, a 0.5% property manage asset management fee to manage the entire property and everything, all the services. And then a um, 1% loan placement fee. So if people want to get a loan against their equity in the property, they'll be able to, to do so, but for like a 1% charge. Those are the only fees. Those are the only fees. And okay. so, and then there will also be some of the smaller stuff. Like if people want to rent out their nights to other people or if somebody needs whatever it might be, those, those really like extra, those really extra kind of um, services. Um, there might be fees, but in general, the three main fees for Goldgate are those three fees. Are you partnering, thinking of partnering with other concierge companies? Because uh, yeah. there are a lot of membership based uh, companies that are based in these cities that you talk about. Totally. Right? Absolutely. And I actually been speaking with a company out of Beverly Hills. And not only do they do luxury home sales, but they do the concierge service. So they do all that stuff. So not only and that's been like and also they're they're in sixty cities. And so I've been speaking with them a little bit because not only could they bring me the properties, right? So they get their commission, they sell the properties, but then they also get their fees for managing the properties for us, right? And they already have that entire business set up. So I've been speaking with concierge services like that. And it'd just be a perfect partnership. Interesting. So the next question is, you know, what kind of research did you do on how many people really are in this market? Because if we take this high-end market, and, and I don't know what your typical, uh, you know, foreseen client is in this, but, uh, you know, how much, how many homes would they typically have? Would they kind of typically own two or three plus other homes, like they have a main vacation home in the mountains and one by the sea, and then they're maybe thinking about doing something abroad. Maybe they have you know, invested something either in Paris or somewhere. And then is that the market? And you're, you're just saying to those people, hey, why do you have you know, just a big place on Cape Cod and this, this one little timeshare thing in the mountains when I can give you seven properties? That's right. And this is perfect for like the, the clientele for this is professional athletes, celebrities, musicians, CEOs, these kinds of people, uh, family offices too. Um, these kind of people that are never in one place for, for more than three or four months. And, um, so what I've been doing is I've been speaking with also the ultra luxury brokers in this market. And I said, tell me if I'm wrong. I said, have you ever had a couple that has $50 million and they walk through your $20 million Laguna beach house? And it's perfect. It's absolutely the most perfect property there is for them. It's they want it, they love it. And at the end of the day, they don't give you a check for twenty million dollars. Why is that? What is the what is the number one reason? Ninety percent of the cases, and the answer to that is that as they're walking out the door, they go, "Babe, it's perfect," but we're only in Laguna Beach for three to four months, and um, that's at that point in time where the broker would hand over the Goldgate proposal for that property and say, hey, here's another option. And this happens thousands of times throughout um, every day. And there's also the amount of homes in the United States owned by foreign investors that have never been lived in and will never be lived in is in the tens of thousands. They just buy property in the United States just because they want to have to, to, to put their money in the United States. Um, and so to be able to say, Hey, rather than, um, invest $3 million in a home and maybe again, Laguna beach, 
that you never use, that you're never in, that you have to furnish, you have to pay for all the maintenance. How about you buy $3 million in a $30 million property, right? You get the same tax benefits and the appreciation. Don't need to worry about any of the maintenance costs. And then maybe you own one of those months per year. So whenever your family is visiting, they can go use that or whatever it might be. So there's a lot of different use cases for this. I see that. But I do think that uh, not everybody who is in this income bracket, there's a reason why they buy it and then leave it because, you know, these are busy people. So uh, you're going to have to make it an incredibly frictionless deal for them to actually be able to spend that month in Aspen or, you know, in Beverly Hills uh, that they have already bought because, uh, you know, a number of things might happen in their lives and, you know, the business deal is going down in a different city. Um I mean, I do foresee that if this kind of gets off the ground, that you will have still a lot of unused weeks. So uh, some part of your business should be dedicated to rentals, I would imagine. Absolutely. And so that is is one of the things is that if people aren't able to go use those weeks, they have the ability to use us to go rent out that property as well. Because again, it already has all the furniture and everything set up. So people can go rent out the property. But again, People feel a lot better, for instance, if um, they own the property and they know that they're getting a tax benefit or the property appreciation on it. And if they don't go use it, it's like, okay, that's, that's okay. It's not like I, I spent I spent a few hundred thousand dollars paying for a rental that I didn't go, go use. And there's a lot of different ways. As I mentioned before, if you buy two houses, that would equal like 24 months. Now let's kind of just break that out into maybe six houses over four months. And so you can own, rather than own two houses, you can own six houses over four months in different times in different parts of the country or the world. And you don't have to go use, and so, you know, that's a lot of months. You can't use all of those in one year or all of those locations, but maybe you just want to have them just because, hey, maybe, you know, you have, you have a place in Barcelona, Spain for four months during the summer. Maybe you don't intend to go use it, but if you, but, but you want to be able to go use it if, um, if you want to. And so like rather than go buy a home in Barcelona that you're that you're maybe you know there or not uh but but you're paying for 12 months of expenses, 12 months of uh taxes, 12 months of everything, now you just go pay for those 4 months. So look, um I, I want to talk a little bit about the uh the current situation and the future because this is a little unusual for me to do uh this kind of conversation and, and especially now when you know a lot of people are at the complete opposite side of the uh, the equation here with with the coronavirus, just to bring that word into the discussion, right? Many people are very concerned, are not traveling, and their last thing on their mind is to make uh, you know additional real estate investments. Uh, what do you say to those who make the analysis that any real estate is going to be distressed for some time, and number two, there won't be a resurgence of business travel for some time to come. Um, And perhaps even uh, not a resurgence of personal kind of uh, luxury travel, but also just general vacation travel. Like what trends are you banking on that's going to make this sort of uh, fly off, uh, you know, fly off the market here? And, And to what extent are you actually depending on this crisis to in some way wind down? Or is that really not a big concern for you? 
Well, as you can imagine, when you're using the Goldgate platform, you're not buying a home, right? It's not what you're buying. You're buying a lifestyle. This is totally a lifestyle purchase. And so, yep. but what we saw is over the first three to four months of coronavirus is that we did see a huge spike in people buying second and third homes. And then it's even continued with all of the um, distress, I guess, in the political environment with riots and stuff like that. So people are saying, hey, we're going to go to the Hamptons. We're going to go to Jackson Hole. We're going to go buy a home in Aspen, right? But again, you, you're, they're not living in these in these homes for 12 months a year. They're just buying them as like that second or third residence to get away from everything. Because you need it, to get away. Yeah. Exactly. And if you have the opportunity, you will want to get away. And there aren't that many places to get away. And right, traditional hotels mm-hmm. haven't seemed like the, the brainiest thing to do, at least not busy kind of downtown hotels. Yes. Yeah. And you, when you have like a when you have a, a rental or a timeshare or a hotel, they're a certain square footage, right? But when you are owning these properties, I mean these are like ten thousand square foot kind of kind of assets fully furnished. So they definitely does feel like a home, but it's definitely a lot more space. But what we saw is people were buying all these homes in all these different markets. But then what we saw next is that, again, like New York City, Los Angeles, London, all these cities, they're not dead, right? Because what I've learned from traveling is that you go where you're treated best, but also where you have the experiences and where you can make the memories and you have the opportunity to grow. And that's why you have Los Angeles and New York City. At the end of the day, they go, okay, we're going to spend four months in the Hamptons, but I got to go back and see my boys and get a slice of pizza in New York City, or I want to go to the Oscars in Los Angeles or whatever it might be. We're even seeing it in California where people are saying like, we've had it with California politics. We're getting out of here. We, you know, we're done. But, but at the end of the day, they're not done with California. They're just done living there for 12 months. You know, so that's one of the things is that lots of property owners are going to, are, are going to love this as well, because now they'll be able to maybe sell off nine months of their home and keep three months so that they can come back and again, go shopping, go to the beach, not to be in traffic for 12 months and have to deal with all that stuff. And kind of what you can do on this platform is you can build your life. You can really build your life on this platform and you'll be able to go on your iPad and, and people and you'll be able to say, here's the kind of homes that I live in. Here's the kind of real estate that I invest in. Here's my art. Here's my cars. Here's my cash. Here's my crypto. And if at any point in time you go, you know what, I want to sell everything and move to Mexico, you have the ability to do so. If you were to go into your family office and say, hey, liquidate everything, they're going to go, have you been drinking? What is going on? Right. Like what you, you can't just liquidate everything, sir or madam. And, um, they, you know, because that would take probably five, five years or longer. But with this, with this, you have the ability to really create your life and then have flexibility and control over it as well. So let's talk a little bit more about kind of the high net worth living aspects. But then I also wanted to see if there's a silver lining here for, for the more moderate income people who, perhaps haven't been able to to even buy one or certainly not two uh, 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 properties and if this is a way for them to also get in on on the deal in some way but let's just cover this uh, this high net worth market because you, you said you know families family wealth um, obviously busy kind of executives type of uh, situations anybody who really has already several uh, homes and are looking to basically just get more, value both in a monetary sense and in an experiential way out of their their money that makes a lot of sense why do you think that it can go beyond real estate so art vintage cars like where what are the other assets that you 
foresee, and I haven't really studied all those other assets, but I'm assuming there are already, you know, a dozen players in each of these markets that are providing individual access to, I, I certainly know there's one for vintage cars. Yep. So the appeal being you can drive them. Uh, for art, I guess it's slightly more complicated. You have to insure these things, but are you foreseeing that if you own a 20th you know, a piece of, of, of an art, uh, you know, of a piece of art, then you can actually exhibit it in your own house for X number of months. The same principle there? No, that that will not be for, for art. That's and a little bit difficult. Cars, right? Yeah, yeah, you would not yeah. do that at all. And so these cars and these artwork would be held in like a, not a, a museum, but like in a, in a secure area and where people can go see them. For instance, if we buy a $10 million Ferrari, and we have the Gold Gate car collection, and let's say it's in Dallas. Well, the next time that you're in Dallas, you know, because you bought a certain portion of that Ferrari, you, when you go to the place, you get to go sit in it, take a picture with it, all that stuff. Because what this is, is you're, you're being able to not only gain from the financial aspect of your investment, but also, I guess, the social and use aspect. And it's one of those, those same things where, you know, there's only a few people in the world that can buy a $150 million Pablo Picasso painting. Right. And so if you're able to maybe break it down into $5 million pieces or $10 million pieces or whatever it might be, and you hold it in an art collection, maybe in New York City or Miami, again, depending on how much interest you have in that painting, you'll be able to maybe, let's say that you were in, in a certain class of investor when you were investing in the painting, we had different kinds of shares. So you bought the class A shares. Well, now maybe one one uh, time of the year, you get to go have a wine tasting at that exhibit with your painting, right? And be able to show your family and friends. So it's kind of one of those things where if you invest in Apple, right? They don't give you a free new iPhone. If you invest in Peloton, they don't give you a new bike. If you invest in Tesla, they don't give you a new car. But with Goldgate, when you invest in something, you have the ability to not only get the financial aspect, but the use aspect. <laughs> It's it's kind of fascinating to think about. You're basically democratizing the billionaire lifestyle, um, which I didn't even know was a thing, <laughs> but it turns out it's a thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, you know, people are sharing people are sharing cars, people are sharing scooters, people are sharing a lot of different things now. Whether it, and now now we're kind of just going after the all the things that have been uh, left to the billionaires and the millionaires for so long. Yeah, so I mean, it is a sharing economy play. What do you think about that when it comes to other players? Because the moment this just gets a little bit more organized, I would imagine like an Airbnb or or, or the Airbnb 2.0, like larger large, larger sort of players that are very capitalized will will try to go after these kinds of more more high end uh, sharing economy assets. Uh, are you already seeing that? I mean, in your research, do you think you'll you'll quickly get competition from players like that, or is it still some years out because there there are so many pieces that need to be put together? That's right. There are so many pieces that need to be put together, and since we're going after kind of the wealthiest and the elites first, the athletes and the celebrities, that's kind of our target market going and getting their um, attention, getting their trust, getting all their, their capital to invest with us. Um, in the future, you know, probably six or nine or 12 months down the road, people are going to figure out what I've done with my platform and how to maybe build what I built with my MVP. And then, but by that time, again, by that time, we'll already have dozens of properties throughout the country or we'll brand loyalty with the elites of the world and we'll have some of the best assets in the world. And, um, also our platform will be a hundred times better than anything that anybody else has. 
So I do see people uh, uh, competitors in the future. Absolutely. I do think that people are going to go after maybe the, the middle income earners next. And I think that we will even go after maybe, you know, the, you know, we have the ultra, the ultra wealthy, but maybe go after just the regular wealthy. I want to buy a $5 million or $2 million house and stuff like that. But there'll be people that will be able to come out and use this technology. And I haven't even thought about this deeply, but it's totally possible to this technology could change or could help solve like the affordable housing crisis, right? There's by, by, by being able to share, share homes that you also get tax benefits and property appreciation on, and you're not wasteful spending and all the stuff that people are spending money on that only depreciates uh, in value like cars. And then, and then also as an expense, I think that somebody's going to come in and go, Hey, we're going to use this technology to go after that other picture, but we're focused on um, the, I think the 1% as of right now. Yeah, no, I get it. But I'm just thinking, you know, if you want to just uh, play with that, uh, the principle a little bit, uh, there are many infrastructure problems in, in this country, in the U.S. And, and, and around the world. And, and part of many of these kind of big problems that you have is, is because, you, you know, a, a government may own it or even a cooperative may even own, right? There are cooperatives that own very significant assets. Yeah. And yeah, you know, okay, you get the shareholder letter. You're like, you're part of the cooperative. You really own this. But at the end of the day, it still feels like a large corporation. And, and they take on the elements of a large structure very quickly. And at worst, they become just a bureaucracy like a, you know, like a government, I guess, you know, mm -hmm. in the sort of the worst instance. So you have ownership. And technically, you know, the government owns a lot of stuff. But you don't walk around thinking every time you use public transport, you don't sit around thinking, oh, I... I'm so glad the government has financed the part of these rails. So, you know, e yeah. even if you know some of it is privatized or you know is not yet privatized, you know the the government owns it, meaning you you own it. You don't feel like you own it. So, how do you think this is going to work on larger infrastructure items? Let's just say, for instance, public transport right now is really in distress. Right, you you're looking for distressed assets. That's a distressed asset. Could uh, or and will these kinds of models be applied to infrastructure? That's a great question. No, I haven't thought about it in terms of public infrastructure, but that is a great question and a great case study. What I've been doing, speaking with investors about, like an example case, is that I've been using the cases of, uh, let's say that the Raiders need a billion dollars to fund their new stadium, right? And right. In, in return, right. in return, they're going to pay rent on that stadium to offer those investors a dividend right and then so let's also say that you're an investor and you put in you know five thousand or ten thousand or whatever right well maybe there's something that's done to the stadium whether it's a seat whether it's something that makes it part of you know that you helped out as well and so like a lot of these a lot of these corporations or you know professional football teams where you have these diehard people they might want to help build their new stadium and get a profit from it so you might even see some development projects maybe it's infrastructure for cities maybe it's fo football teams whether it's whatever that you can use this technology to raise money and provide a dividend i just think that probably um the las vegas raiders are probably gonna 
use that money properly. I mean, they built an amazing stadium. I think they did it in, in less time and under budget. And you just compare that to the government, which is the opposite. So I'm not sure. Well, exactly. So so there's two things. Well, a couple of things that need to be in place. One, you have to trust the people that are actually That's running right. the scheme, That's you know, right. running the financial operations around it. Because, you know, I'm sure in, in this market, as in any other markets, there will be scandals and, and crooks that are taking taking this down. But on the other hand, there seems to be this need to have an emotional asset. You have, a, have to have an asset that you can have a very strong connection to. Mm-hmm. So like a, a stadium, a sports stadium does fit the bill. You know, let's, you know, I'm in Boston. If they're, you know, rebuilding, uh, you know, one of the biggest, you know, the Red Sox stadium, if, if that's, you know, going to be rebuilt, which it will be, that's something that has a very strong emotional attachment, uh, you know, among many, many people. So I think you're, you, you have to at least start with the assets where there's a recognizable emotional connection to it and that's what we're doing too like we're, we're going for you some of the so most- a fenway would be a, a good thing for people in boston and i'm sure there are stadiums like that yeah and um and that's one of the things too is that we're going after these very unique and the finest assets in the entire world because once we introduce them to our platform we don't ever intend on selling them once we own them they're part of the goldgate platform it's also almost a competitive advantage and so for instance, if you want to help fund the Raider Stadium, you have to do it on the Goldgate platform. If you want to live in this Hamptons home, you have to go invest on the Goldgate platform. If you want to go uh, invest in a Pablo Picasso painting, to do it on the platform. And so that's what we're going after is a lot of these unique assets that have a story to them as well. I mean, is when you're investing in something, uh, you learn so much about that asset and what drives the revenue or expenses or whatever it might be. I mean, you know, you even see like maybe even sports gamblers when they're going out and they're trying to bet money on a team and they know like what that person ran for his 40 yard dash when he was in middle school, right? Because they're emotionally invested into it. So like even if you're investing a million dollars into a Pablo Picasso painting, you're going to, I mean, people are going to be like, where did you learn? how did you learn art so well? Like, you know, or, or you're investing in something else, but you have a connection. You go, you go, Oh, I know this kind of stuff about art or football or whatever it might be because, or Bell Airbs, I live there because of what was provided to me on this platform. It's like almost like an educational piece as well. Dalton, I, I, I like this conversation so much because, you know, I've had a bunch of blockchain people on, on the podcast lately. And a lot of it is very technical conversation. It's very complicated stuff, and we dive into the, you know, the the works of it and how how it all kind of functions. But this is you know this is a very real example of you know clearly you have to know what you're doing as the organizer of the platform. Clearly, you have to study a little bit. You can't just, you know, no one wastes their money. You could be a, an athlete, or you know, a, yep. a, a, if you are in this category, you're not going to just jump on this or any other platform without studying what this means. Totally. But I think this emotional connection and how this blockchain-based kind of tokenization technology now is going to open up for use cases that are so exciting and very different than one might have imagined, you know, even just five years ago. I think it's very exciting. Thank so, you. So um, what are some of your parting thoughts on what the future is going to look like? I mean, is this, uh, <clears throat> will this be how we interact with any emotional kind of valuably, you know, emotionally valuable token uh, and an and object, you know, in the next decade? Or do you think this is going to be a fringe type of activity still? 
for a good for a good amount of time. I think that somebody's going to go out and do this. I think that somebody's going to go out. I think that every piece of real estate in the future is going to be digitized, and the only question is who's going to be the first one to go out and do it. And um, what was that, well, what I was just going to mention too is that I think a big a big thing that's going to change in the future. I think that we're going to look back in five or six years. And, you know, as of right now on the platform, if you want to sell your ownership interest, let's say in a property, let's say you have a property in Hermosa Beach and you want to sell that property, well, it's going to be like a 1% fee. And then if you want to buy into another property in the future that's already existing on the platform, it'll be a 1% fee. But in the future, we'll be able to bring those fees down to the point where it might be 0.1%. And that could be very, very soon. So for someone to go, okay, I just listed my home for sale in Hermosa Beach, click, click. And then I went to lunch, came back, somebody from around the world bought those interests. And now it's time to move to Hermosa Beach, click, click. Okay, I just moved from, from you know Hermosa to Redondo Beach. And I did it in a day and I did it for a total of 0.2%. They're going to go, remember the days when we used to pay brokers 6% to sell our home? And it would take six to 24 months to do so. And, um, and that's just what I think people, I think people are going to see that and they're going to go, what just happened? What just happened? And so I, I, I think that, that it's a big problem that I'm solving with how, how people live and how people invest. And so I, I do think this is, um, um, and also in this space, the blockchain space, like one year is like five years. This is moving so, so quickly and we're advancing so, so much. And I think that, um, what happened in the, ICO boom of 2017 is going to happen in 2021 with the security token offerings of the STO boom of 2021, because people are going to realize, hey, when I invest in one of these cryptocurrencies or whatever it might be, I don't get a quarterly report. It is literally a gamble. It could go to zero. It could go up. I have no idea. There is nothing behind it. When you invest in an STO, you, you say, oh, this is tied to something, right? This actually holds value. Uh, there's actually other benefits to this. And so I think that um, once that happens, once the STO boom happens, I don't think there's there's going back. Dalton, when you sat for your real estate license, and I don't know how many years ago, that couldn't have been many, many years ago. Uh, what, five years ago or, or less? About five years ago, yeah, for my first one, right. yeah. So five years ago, you sat for your your your, your exam. Did, did you have any idea as you were crossing out those, uh, you know, old boxes you know, and filling in kind of what you, that proving that you knew the the basics. Did you have any idea that this was going to happen to you? I had no idea. You know what? I couldn't. You know, everything happens for a reason. I, I completely believe in that, and I think that like God has a plan for all of us. And thinking back to like when I was in college and all the mistakes that I made that actually led me to go into real estate. And for instance, if I didn't make like a certain mistake in college, I never would have gotten into real estate. If I didn't get into real estate. I never would have started my own real estate company. If I didn't do that, I wouldn't have been able to travel the world for two years. And if I did, if I, if I didn't do that, I wouldn't have been able to start this new business and do what I am doing now. So it's funny how life life works out that way. So I had, but yeah, going back, getting my license, I was I was going to be a residential real estate broker, and I was wearing my suit and everything like that, which you don't need to wear as a residential real estate broker selling four hundred thousand dollar homes. But I was doing it. And, uh, but would have, would have no clue. 
Well, you're preaching to the choir here. I don't know if you knew this, but I mean, I, I wrote a, a book about disruption and how to uh, thrive on serial failure. So I'm, I, I'm a big believer in studying, you know, my own mistakes and other people's mistakes. I think it's basically a daily, a daily thing. I think it makes you so much stronger, uh, not just, you know, you shouldn't seek out failure, but the point is everybody has these things where you realize there's a fork in the road. And, you know, maybe you took the wrong one, but the thing is you got to learn from these things and, right. and there are opportunities around the corner. You turned left instead of right. Well, now, now you're in a different street corner. There's so many things happening. And I, I think you have just opened up, uh, you know, hopefully our listeners mind to a new opportunity and uh, just a little bit of excitement into this uh, kind of COVID reality that a lot of us are sitting in our attics or basements and trying to figure out what to do. Dalton, you brought some, uh, some, uh, promise and uh, and uh, opportunity into into this uh, and I thank you for it any any parting words what's uh, what's next uh, week gonna look like for you yeah so well thank you for having me Tron this has actually been a blast and um, what the next three months actually looks for looks for me is that over the next two weeks as I'm hiring my new CTO CMO and CFO over the next three months as we're building out the new proprietary platform to go build that trust and connection experience for residential real estate also building lots of partnerships with a lot of luxury brands similar to maybe a NetJets or a Cartier or a Liz Sotheby's go build these partnerships speaking with lots of celebrity endorsement camps and so I think that we'll have our first property under contract probably in December of this year and have our first closing in February of next year. And so once that once that happens, uh, 2021, again, remember it here, you know, 2021 is going to be the STO boom. And I hope that Goldgate is the one that is uh, leading it. Dalton, I like it. Some predictions. Uh, that's always uh, welcome on Futurized. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Thanks, Tron. You have just listened to episode 43 of the Futurized podcast with host Tron Arne Unheim, futurist and author. The topic was the future of high net worth lifestyle. Our guest was Dalton Skatch, CEO of Goldgate, a fintech focused on real estate. In this conversation, we talked about how to own homes in Beverly Hills, Dubai, Tokyo, Singapore, and London for the price of one through fractional real estate investing. The approach builds on tokenization. We discuss the needs of the wealthy post-COVID-19. My takeaway is that the future of high net worth lifestyle is changing rapidly with COVID, as well as new blockchain-based opportunities to invest with a fractionalized approach, even in the traditional asset class of real estate. Could this reinvigorate the asset class? Will commercial real estate tank first? Many questions linger. Thanks for listening. If you liked the show, subscribe at futurized.co or in your preferred podcast player and rate us with five stars. Futurized, preparing you to deal with disruption.